0: This episode today is brought to you by Grinding Coffee Co. Grinding Coffee, a black LGBTQ-owned coffee business that donates a portion of every sale to charity. Coffee is imported from around the world, and they pride themselves on great customer service for a small team. Use promo code PITLANEPARLA for 13% off your order.
1: Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum, Mick Bridge and Matt both join me and joining for the first time, special guest, Mr. Jake Query. So, Jake, how are you? How's the uh, new radio show going?
2: You know, it's difficult to answer that, Mike, because it takes place so early in the morning and then I go home and go to sleep and it's all kind of like a dream. <laughs> so I guess it's going okay. I'm still employed I've made it to Wednesday that probably there probably could have been a, like a parlay over under you could have gotten on that but <laughs> no I appreciate it listen I'm, I'm happy to happy to talk to you guys you know I know the work that you do to, to promote um, what now is obviously you know kind of a secondary job for me but it's been really a primary thing I've been involved with for close to a decade and a half now which is strange to say but um, things are going well so I appreciate the time and I appreciate talking to you
1: yeah of course it's uh it was good to I, th- I think this year was the first year i actually met you when i was walking around with shannon and uh, obviously we followed uh, you know IndyCar radio and and all that fun stuff so i'll i'll let shannon go with the with the first question here and then we'll just rotate through the three of us
0: oh okay <laughs> thanks mike
1: <laughs> yep i'm putting you right on the spot
0: um cool all right so jake um Walk me through like what happened when when you your radio show originally got canceled, and what you did in that meantime while you're freelancing. I know you were with IndyCar Radio, but the season's not you know all year long. And so, what did that look like, and how did you get back to ha- now having a full time radio show?
2: You know, it's a great question, Shannon. I appreciate you asking me that. I so I had done a radio show with. I Heart radio out of Indianapolis, it's interesting because I had originally worked at WIBC, which is how I got into radio. I'd worked in television, and then in 2007, I left Channel 6 because Vince Welch had called me and said, hey, I'm leaving WIBC, they're looking for a morning sports guy on the radio, I think he'd be perfect, so I made the jump from television to radio, which probably aesthetically speaking is more along lines for what I was made to do anyway, so i made the jump over to radio and in that capacity, I, my dream had always been to be a part of the Indianapolis 500 radio broadcast. And knowing that MS was the flagship radio network for the 500 radio broadcast, I managed to at least get my foot in the door to be able to do IMS radio. So that's how I, I did that. And then when I left MS in 2008, um, you know, I was doing racing stuff only for like two years and somewhere around there and then iheart radio which is the competing radio station to the fan called me and they had an opening for the afternoons and i said i would love to talk to you guys but i want it contractually written in that my voice is allowed to be used on both stations that that i am still allowed to be on the fan doing racing and that the racing people at the fan would not have a problem with me doing an afternoon show with iheart So that was all copacetic. It was all signed off. I was very fortunate, and I've always been grateful for that. So at any rate, to flash forward to your question now, circuitously, when I worked for iHeartRadio in January of 2020, I woke up on the first business day of the year, and I had a text message from the program director, which was my boss, that said, hey, Jake, as soon as you get a chance, Brett needs to see you, who was the general manager of of the radio station.
0: And I knew exactly
2: what that meant. That is the equivalent of, listen, they want to see you and be sure to bring your helmet and your Hans device, right? I mean, like, you know what that means. So I called and he said, listen, Jake, I need you to come in here as soon as you can. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Is it just me or is it myself and Derek, who was my co-host? And he said, no, it's about 1,500 people. And I said, okay. And he said, so I need you in here in the next 30 minutes. And I said, well, if I'm late, are you going to fire me? And he laughed <laughs> and said, you're right. Just get in here when you can. So on my way there, I made two phone calls. I called my girlfriend to say, you're going to pick up dinner this weekend. Um, I called my parents because I thought I might as well tell my parents I'm unemployed before they see it in the paper. And then I called the fan and said hey listen I am effectively right now about to become a free agent and that reopened the communication with that radio station um and I did some freelance stuff for them in the interim but I did have contractually uh, a buyout that, that bought me some time so for all of and then in March you know the world shut down with COVID so like all of a sudden I tell people like you know I I got laid off before it was trendy, but like the rest of the world slid back to where I was, right? Where nobody was going into work for March, April, May, June, you know, the, the racing stuff was set aside. I just assumed when I was in St. Petersburg, Florida in March of 20, and I was not on the first practice session for lights for the broadcast, I was in my hotel and I woke up and there was an email from Mark Miles that said, we're done until at minimum June. And I remember right then thinking, we're not going to turn a wheel the entire year obviously that turned out to be not true but you know shannon when you know ahead of time that, that you've got to start saving your money and making it last you can make it last a long time and i just would do little freelance jobs here and there and then finally about a month ago something opened up in terms of a full-time position at the fan i applied for it and went through the protocols and the procedures and everything that goes into it and I'm the luckiest guy alive, man. I know I'm the luckiest guy, or in your case, woman. I, I'm, I know I'm the luckiest person that there is. I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. And I'm still waiting for the world to figure out that I don't have much of a skill set. But for right now, I'm going to write it out for as long as I can.
0: We won't tell anybody.
2: Please don't, yeah. <laughs> don't <for> <laughs> out. You guys you guys have been good at breaking some stories over the last couple months, but don't break that one. <laughs> If,
0: we'll if keep you, that one under our under our thumb.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I can always edit that out if if, if you need me to, uh, you know,
2: nah.
1: it, it it can happen. But
2: I'm not saying anything nobody doesn't already know, so we're cool.
1: <laughs> so uh, I'll I'll jump in here and and Matt can go ahead after me. But so the new show is is Kevin Query Monday morning, seven to to ten a.m. Uh what's what's it been like? I know you've only done, you know, as we're recording this two days, but you know, what's it been like so far? What can what can listeners expect? And I guess, you know, for those who maybe aren't in, in in, in indie, where can they is it possible to listen online?
2: It is. Um, it's at 1075thefan.com is the website. And then of course the podcasts are later put up on all of the podcast formats. I mean, notably iHeart, ironically enough. Um, but Kevin Bowen is the guy that has been writing for their website for a number of years. As a matter of fact, he worked for the Colts. And when he was when he left the Colts, um, you know, I at that time Conrad Brunner, who was kind of a friend of all of us that, that work in the local media, was a writer for the Fan's website. And Conrad left the Fan, and I remember calling Kevin because he had just left the Colts and said, "Hey, this is, this would be a perfect job for you." He's a very talented writer. He's extremely knowledgeable, in particular about the Colts, because that's his background. That's where he works. So. He got on board with them and then their morning show, they had two individuals on their morning show that for various reasons departed the market in terms of being involved in the media. So that elevated Kevin up into being on the radio full time about four or five months ago. And then they had an opening for his co-host, which a number of very worthy people applied for, um, as did I. I think my previous relationship probably helped me in that regard. So I've been paired with Kevin Um, and listen, I, you know, this is what I I think Kevin's a really talented guy, very bright. Uh, He's, you know, 15 years, my junior. And so I've just always said, I mean, I've been very lucky that I've had my moment. I've had my, my turn, if you will. And I think Kevin's moments here. And so I'm happy to be on board to to help him get and and rise and enjoy that moment. Um, You know, we go on every morning from seven until 10 o'clock in the morning and we talk sports and whether it be that, you know, obviously it's very Colts heavy because this is the middle of the NFL season and Indianapolis is an NFL city. I know that they were very excited about my connection to the month of May and the Speedway, and I would imagine that that will facilitate a greater amount of coverage about the Indy 500 once that rolls around. And then in the, in the summertime, of course, racing comes into play. But Pacers, Colts, 6 typical sports talk stuff, and then hopefully intermixing some personality and people getting to know the quirks about me and letting the city kind of come along with me with the struggle of a proverbial night owl and a lifelong insomnia suddenly doing morning radio. Like why not come along to find out whether or not I can do it so far. So good.
1: Love it. All right, Matt, I'll let you jump in.
2: Jake
3: congrats on the gig. Thanks for joining tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, You've kind of been downplaying your, your skills a little bit. So I'm going to try to change it up here and, uh, uh, Give a, be your hype man for a second, I guess. So let's hypothetically say that someone in Hollywood has decided they're going to make a movie about Jake Query. Uh, it's going to be about your whole life and all the all the great things that's going on so far, everything like that, ups, downs, everything. Who do you think the director would cast as the, the actor that would play Jake Query in the Jake Query movie? And it can't be you.
2: <laughs> well, let me begin by saying this. Um... Great question. I'm flattered you ask it. I'll begin by saying this. It would be a lot less about who plays me and a lot more about who plays the people that have been in my life because I've been really lucky to have the best supporting cast known to man. You know, I had, I went through a health scare about a year ago. I was sitting in a hospital room for 31 hours and I tell people all the time, fortunately I was awake and alert, pretty much okay for the 31 hours. I just had to sit there tethered to machines. And, you know, I tell people, The one thing I learned in the epiphany of that moment was you take a look back at your life when you're facing your own mortality. And the thing I realized is that I looked back at my life like a book and I loved every character. And some characters had more pertinent chapters than others but I've loved every character in my book. So there would be, it would be like one of these Quentin Tarantino movies with an all-star cast. I will tell you that in the terms of my speech delivery and simply because I'm over six foot three, The person that most people tell me I remind them of is Vince Vaughn. So if I had to pick, I would go with Vince Vaughn only because that's what other people tell me I remind them of. And that might be simply because in old school, he was a sarcastic, angry guy that was totally unaware of his age versus everyone around him. So maybe I shouldn't take that as a compliment.
3: I see the resemblance, yeah.
2: I dig it.
1: Uh, Shannon, we'll let you jump back in.
0: Hi, guys. I don't know what you guys just talked about. because I lost audio. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we?
3: <laughs> we talked mostly about you, if you want to know. Yeah, the truth. yeah we talked trash about you. Uh, yeah, Vince Vaughn is playing JQuery in the JQuery movie. We just announced that here. That's another one of our breaking news bulletins that's going to yep. come out here yep. shortly.
0: We will put those yellow um, triangles right next to that for you.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um okay so really what did we what did we ask him because i'm sorry i really did lose you guys
3: no i honestly did ask him
0: yeah, really that did? was that was the question Who <laughs> yeah.
3: would play him in the movie that was that was a hundred percent i am not messing it good <laughs> you can listen to it don't worry
0: so thanks thanks Hickey. So, you don't have to tell us about it because you put the whole story on twitter which i love so much but tell us about you just ran a mini right six months later
2: I did, I was, you know, it was was really interesting, Shannon, because October 22nd of 2020, yeah, 2020, was when I had my heart attack. So October 22nd of 2021 was the one year mark of my heart attack. And I think, you know, look, I'm not unique. I mean, everybody has things they've gone through. Everybody has moments. So it's all relative, but for me, that moment, like that, that year was unique because you're constantly thinking, okay, it's three months, it's been six months, it's been nine months. And the one year mark to me was very symbolic because of the fact that it's one year, but also because that means you've been through everything one time since it happened. And I got up on the morning of the 22nd, about three weeks before my one year mark cardio, well, I say cardiologist, but technically speaking, he's a cardiological interventionist, which has got to be the greatest <laughs> business card of all time. Like, I mean, I told him, I'm like, yeah, if I had your business card, every piece of clothing I'd have would say, like, I am a cardiological interventionist. You know what I mean? But Dr. Benjamin Mottman, a community up in Indianapolis, he's a great dude. And is the guy that did my angioplasty and, and saved my life, you know, opened my heart back up from 100% blockage. He texted me about three weeks before the one year anniversary and said, hey, I don't know what you're doing on the 22nd, but it's just over four and a half miles from Blind Owl, which is the restaurant where I was when my heart attack began, to the heart hospital, which was where I was obviously driven by my buddy Mac Engel to take me when I had the heart attack. And he said, you know, we'd have to go some side roads, but what do you think about running it together on on your one year anniversary? And we had done the mini marathon together at my six month mark, because during my heart attack, I asked him, do you think I'd ever be able to again do the mini marathon? He said, man, there is so much that goes into that. And I said, well, I'll make you a deal. If I make it out of this room, and I knew the realities, I knew that it was probably 50-50, I wasn't gonna make it out of that room. But I said, if I make it out of this room and I put myself in a position to do the mini marathon, I want you to do it with me. And he held to his word. And on April 22nd, which was a six-month mark, we ran 13.1 miles together. We both knew there was no way they were actually going to do the many because of COVID, right? But we still did the 13.1 together on the Monon. And so then on the one-year mark, we ran together um, from Blind Owl to the hospital. And then afterwards, it was really interesting. We we got done, and he drove me back to my car. And he thanked me and said, you know, I just want to thank you for the last year. He's a younger guy. I mean, he's... 35. He's excellent at what he does, obviously. And I said, you know, mom, and like, you don't need to thank me, obviously. I'll forever be indebted to you. I will, there are a lot of cardiological interventionists that could have saved my life that day, but I'm glad that you were the one on shift because, you know, there's a connection there. And he probably, you know, he has a lot of people whose life he saved, but I was very blessed to have that connection with him and, and that trust in him. And, and for him to say that to me meant a lot, but, it, but, my answer is this, like, it was just unique to me, because on that one year mark, I realized that I was coming to the conclusion of the best year of my life. It really was the best year of my life, because not only was, I mean, you know, I was basically encouraged by people to sit around and be lazy. And I mean, who the hell doesn't want that, right? It's the greatest thing ever. But, but, you know, things were just put in perspective to me. And I think I've always been appreciative of things. But you just go to a different level with it and you you have a greater understanding and you realize some of the things that you worried about and you sweated about forever just really aren't consequential. And, you know, I had a, a city that I love dearly reach out to me in a lot of ways and reach out and touch me and and it meant the world to me. It really did. And I, I I will never forget it. I'll always be grateful for it. Um But, you know, no matter what happens between now and the rest of my life, probably I'll look back on 2020 in a year when I didn't have a job. On the second day of the year, I walked into an armed robbery and had a gun to my head. I had a heart attack in October. And it was the best year of my life because all of it gave me perspectives that um, I was aware of, but they were greatly illuminated. And so I became more appreciative of them. And I'm always grateful for that.
0: I I love that, actually, because in a time when people are so mad about everything and find negativity in everything, you found the way to be positive about everything. So that is,
2: you know, I I didn't have a choice. You know what I mean? Like, I I mean, I guess I did. But, you know, here's what I say. And I'm not, you know, look, I'm not trying to I'll try not to be Stuart Smalley, like, you know, life's (laughs) great, like philosophies here, but. When I was sitting in that room, you know, he came in, Mottman came in and said, listen, here's the deal. You know, they saw the EKG printout and he said, you have a 100% blockage of your heart and the Widowmaker. And he said, we're going to get you in there. We're going to take care of you. And I said, okay. And he explained what was going on and that the cath lab was being, you know, prepared for me to go in for my procedure and that it was going to be about 15 minutes before the cath lab was ready. And I looked right at him and I said, so tell me this, Doc, shoot me straight. And he said, okay. And I said, I'm going to die, right? And he said, well, you're in the best place that you could possibly be to stave that process if it were to begin. And I said, that really didn't answer my question at all, which in fact gave me a great answer to my question. Yeah. Yeah. Mottman was Mottman was extremely smooth and poised. And I mean, he was everything you would ever want in that moment. But he said, I will tell you the next 15 minutes is very critical for you. And so I had 15 minutes basically to sit and everything went quiet. And there was, it was an IndyCar pit stop. It was an IndyCar pit stop on the last stint of the Indy 500. And I knew that it was either for me going to go Roberto Guerrero in 87 or it was going to go Gordon Johncock in 82, right? And so all this activity is going on around me and everybody has a job to do. And like the the front left is is operating precisely on getting medicine into my mouth. And, the you know, the fuel hose is going to the perfect intravenous medicine into me to, to try to thin my blood out. And I mean, everything had to go perfectly for me. And in that moment, everything went silent. And during that silence, I had a tremendous peace. And that tremendous peace was, I knew that it was going to go one of two ways. And I knew that I left nothing out there unresolved. The people that I love know I love them. The people that I've ever had an issue with, we have long since talked it out. And I just didn't feel like I owed anything. And I certainly didn't feel like anyone owed me anything. And so whichever way it went, I was at complete peace with that. And what I would wish for everybody or encourage everybody at the risk of sounding preachy is that you live your life in a way you feel a comfort in how you're going to feel in that room because in that room nothing else matters but the peace of mind that's going to get you through it and i'm fairly convinced that peace of mind is the reason i'm talking to you right now
1: without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy.
0: Jake. i did not expect all of this to be so like profound that's amazing i know i, I feel like i gotta go hug host mike or something I know.
2: yeah well if you're gonna ask me see look my two options are that i talk to you about the engineering of bottle racing and i flunked every geometry class i ever had and <laughs> I, flunked, I got a 20 22 freshman algebra so when it comes to figuring out race cars, I'm screwed. But I can talk about.
0: I it. love it because I can't figure out race cars either. I the math is not my not my forte. Mm.
1: <laughs> nope, nope. I think we can all agree on that. Hey, I'm gonna trend. <laughs> no, I meant for all of oh. us, oh, not just you. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Well, sorry, Hickey. You know, kind of transitioning a little bit to racing, but you know, you've gotten to work with. Rob Miller, Bob Jenkins, Tom Carnegie, a whole host of amazing characters. But what's you know when you look back on it now, what's it like to work with some of the, I guess we could say, legends of of motorsports?
2: You know, it's surreal. I mean, it's incredulous. It's a great honor. It's a tremendous honor. I, I think for me, listen, guys, I'm just a kid that grew up on the north side of Indy, and I love the Indy 500, and I love listening to it. I went to the Indy 500 for the first time when I was. Eight and a half years old in 1981, and I've only missed a few races since. And even in the races that I went with my dad, I would give my mom a cassette tape and specific instructions on when to record, and, and I would listen to those tapes and listen to the races, driving to school in the morning and, and reenact them. I mean, all of it. So, look, timing went my way where then I, all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where I'm taking, to use a radio term, a toss from Bob Jenkins, a toss from Paul Page, and a toss from Mike Kane, and a toss from Mark James, and a toss you know, from from all those guys, right? And they're all legendary figures, and I'm just like a small piece of ticker tape that's in the parade of their life, and that's a very surreal feeling. And I know that I don't measure to that. I know that. But to put myself in that position and have things go my way I'm grateful and humbled by I think more so than even from a professional standpoint of you know Jerry Baker included you know all those guys Tom Carnegie like you mentioned more so than than the surreal flattering honor of being able to share an airwaves with those guys was just the privilege of getting to know them as people and as friends you know I I love Robin Miller and I'll never obviously stop loving Robin Miller, but I don't know that there's any way to properly explain what he's meant to me along with other people. And the thing about Robin Miller that's so fabulous is everybody that knew him has their own connection to him that they feel is probably tighter than anyone else has. And, you know, there's there's so much with Robin that I've known for being around him for almost 30 years. And the things he did for me, um, Bob Jenkins has the greatest disparity or had odd as that sounds to say the greatest disparity between an individual's level of accomplishment and the grasp of their level of accomplishment of anybody I've ever met in a good way. He was the most humble down to earth person on the planet. Um, I love Bob Jenkins. I, I if, if everybody on this earth that aspired to be half the man and the scrupulous nature of Bob Jenkins and the humility of Bob Jenkins to be a better world. Um, Donald Davidson's in that same category. I mean, to be able to call Donald on the phone and, and go over to his house in May and sit on his porch and talk about stories from the past for a couple of hours, I can never, ever, ever, no matter how long I live, no matter how many, Interviews I do, or podcasts I do, or how many times I get up at six in the morning to do a morning radio show, I could never fully articulate or embody what it means to have the privilege of all of those individuals, not just from a broadcast or the prestige of their clout standpoint, but from the humanitarian standpoint of being connected to all of them and allowing them or or them allowing me to be connected to them is something that um, it's difficult to explain. That's the best I can explain it. But all of them in their own way are God send gift human beings. And I'm just incredibly, incredibly grateful that my time, some way in a small shape or form merged into the lane of their life.
3: Yeah. I mean, honestly, with the way you've been talking and whatever, just kind of having you on the show, I, I, am just, you know, I, I, can think I can speak for all of us just to lucky just to talk to you and hear yeah. your perspective on things. It's amazing. So you know, to say we can check this one off and say that we got jQuery on here is—I think it has been phenomenal.
2: <laughs> well, listen, let me tell you guys something. I, I've done—I I was a fan of the 500, and so I, I got really lucky in, in kind of getting involved in racing in general with that, right? I mean, it's disingenuous to say that I grew up going to tracks all over the country all summer long. That—that that would be inaccurate. But over the course of doing it and being around and calling, you know, the races for, I don't know what it is, 15 years or whatever, you know, one thing I've learned is that there, there are two things. Racing has great fans, which, I, you know, I'm one of them, but racing also has very knowledgeable fans that esoterically have a love for the sport, but also a desire to share that love and communicate that love to other people whether they're introductory fans or whether they are knowledgeable, passionate, longstanding fans. And I've seen a lot of people and been appreciative of the fact that a lot of people have worked very hard to create their own niche and carve their own path into being a part of the racing itself and to, you know, spread the word of racing. And I've seen some of them that that have done so very well. I've seen others that have done it where they gave it a good college try, but it wasn't for them. And, you know, good on both, obviously. But you guys have done exactly that. I mean, I think you've done a a remarkable job of showing a dedication to the sport, of sticking by the passion that you have for it, getting out good information, getting information to people that don't know as much about it, getting information to people that do know a lot about it, but trust your knowledge of it and feel a connection to your knowledge because they too have a passion. So um, I think we need as much of that as possible. And I think anytime that anybody is trying to blaze their own path in that regard. I think we have a responsibility to do what we can to help through that and grow that path. And so I'm appreciative of your guys' ability to continue to grow a sport that obviously has meant a lot to me.
1: And I didn't think I would be in near tears in the, in, in, a, in a, <laughs> a Tuesday night recording.
3: Yeah. I mean, we're, we, yeah, we've, we've come a long ways and, and I, I don't know about, everybody but i think we're we're planning on chugging along here for a good while here and um, growing in different areas but i think we're we're doing good and it's because you know we do put a lot of hard work in but you know having people like you come on the show uh, definitely makes it easier for us for people to listen to us so we appreciate it again your time um so that was very kind of you thank you i had kind of a, a question from today actually um it stems from a discussion we had last week on our episode about kyle kirkwood Marshall Pruitt from Racer Meg is reporting that Kyle Kirkwood will be full-time for AJ Foyt racing next season in the 14 car. I just wanted to, A, kind of get your thoughts on Kyle Kirkwood. We've heard a lot of great things about him, and I just wanted to see if you had any insights or opinions about Kyle. And then the second one was a discussion that we had about is a part-time role, maybe at a stronger team, more advantageous for him? Or is a full-time ride, no matter where it is, the best course of action, even if it's for a team that has been a little slower in the past couple of years like Floyd?
2: I think the latter part of that, and, you know, look at Will Power. I realized that the level of experience of Will Power when he was a part-time driver for Penske and the level of experience of Kyle Kirkwood now are two different things. But Will Power opted when he was filling in for Elio to stick with Penske part-time and see what came of it. He had all the resources and all the tools to get his footing underneath him and start getting results and then you saw what happened to his career. I think the challenge for Kirkwood is going to be, with Foyt, it is a team that I do think that it depends on how much, if any, time Sebastian Bourdais and this, you know, that, that's the million dollar question, right? How much is Bourdais or even Kimball going to be around to offer any sort of an engineering advice? That's going to be the challenge because regardless of how much success you have coming into, it's still a different card and it's still a different feel. And I think that, that, you know, there's no secret in the fact that with AJ Foyt racing, that engineer or the ingenuity thereof has been, that's been the challenge and that's been the difficult set. For Kirkwood, that is, could you go to a team and get and pinch hit? You could, but then all of a sudden, are you putting yourself in an Oliver Askew position where one or two races, all of a sudden, something goes beyond your control? You don't get a lot of laps turned in it, and now you, all of a sudden, you're quickly becoming an afterthought. I guess, and I'm not saying Askew's an afterthought by any stretch, but you know what I mean when I'm saying that you know he's still trying to to, to pick and choose like where where he can go in as he did last year. But in the terms of Kirkwood, I I can see it both ways. I do think that if you are a young driver that is trying to show ability to get good results, then it's just like spins of the roulette wheel. You need as many opportunities for that as possible. So while the odds might be stacked up against him with Foyt, he's going to get more opportunities over the course of a higher number of races to be visible. The other thing too, you get a little bit more margin for error don't go well for him over a, a year with Foyt going to get probably some benefit of the doubt of people saying, yeah, but it's not like he was in the best of equipment. And I mean, that is no dis- disrespect to Larry Foyt or that team, but I just think from an ingenuity standpoint, they're a little behind the eight ball. So maybe he gets a little bit of a benefit of the out there. If it were me, and I was advising him, I would take a hard look at teams that might have a part-time opportunity for him. But if it was anybody other than one of the big three, I would go with safety and numbers and the bird in the hand and go with the full-time ride.
3: I just had a quick follow-up. So when you say the big three, would you say that after this last season – would you say that Andretti is still in the big three with you with Ganassi and Penske or is McLaren and Rahal flirting on the
2: fringes of the big three? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I guess when I say the big three, I'm not necessarily meaning in terms of the total results at this point, but in terms of the overall resources and the money allocation and the ability to get full-time sponsorship, your point's well taken. There's no question about the fact that, you know, look, obviously elevated their profile right and ray hall yeah to your point i mean all can figure out how to get out of qualifying what they're able to do during the races (laughs) then look out right because i think graham would be the first to tell you i mean they they have race packages and race strategies that have done well for them but obviously their qualifying efforts are the thing that sets them back a little bit from the, you know, going into, or, or midway through the weekend. So yeah, there's not a huge drop off there just in terms of the overall money would be the difference, but in terms of performance point, well taken. I mean, it's, it's probably now big two and then really good size three, but below that.
0: I would just like to point out that Jake query, um, has agreed with everything I said last week. So I'm taking that as a win and <laughs> going with that.
1: <laughs> yep, that's that's totally fair. Uh, Shannon, if you want to wrap it up with uh, any last question, now that you know, you've know you gotten some gloating in, we will, I will gladly let you do so. Um,
0: I, yeah, I have one question. But Jake, you have a super huge fan who is a super huge fan because of the Colts. And so I told him that I would um, give you a shout out. So his name is Matthew St. Thomas and I told him I would tell you, and he promised to download the podcast, so it's a win-win for both of us. (laughs) Um, My question, lastly, is what is your favorite 500 you've attended, and what is your favorite 500 that you have worked
2: at and covered? First off, I hope Matthew's not listening too late, because if I'm not mistaken, early alarm clock for Matthew, much like me, if if I'm Remembering correctly yep. from tweets. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, my favorite 500 as a kid, probably a toss up. There are probably two that, you know, actually, I would say 87. I was a huge Roberto Guerrero fan. And I was a huge fan of Roberto Guerrero's second, third, fourth, and second in his first four races. And 87, after Mario's car went out, I thought for sure it was Roberto Guerrero's day. And I was thrilled by it. I I was absolutely elated. And then obviously Guerrero has the pit problem late in the race. And that surrenders the lead to Alencer Sr. And Alencer Sr. takes the lead and goes on to win the 500. And it was his fourth win. And I was in the eighth grade. And it was 87, the spring of 87, like Indiana won the national title in March. And Alencer Sr. wins his fourth Indy 500. And in may and i'm at eastwood middle school and with the eagles and football we were undefeated that year and like my whole life was everything was perfect and her senior at that time little resemblance to my dad and so to see her senior in, at a, in a, you know not a far off age from my dad at the time looking like my dad drinking the milk for the fourth time sentimentally speaking and just for a million reasons because what I wanted to happen didn't happen, but something great and a personal feel for me happened instead, and that's kind of how my life luckily has fallen into place, so I would say 87. In terms of the best race that I've called or been a part of from a working standpoint, I was working at Channel 6 for the finish of the 06 race, and I remember being right there when Marco got out of his car, and he looked basically right at me, not to me, but right at me—and said. Where did the speed come from? Talking about Hornish. Um, and I'll always remember that, but in terms of calling the race, and it's the easy answer. And I apologize for being, you know, vague in the or, you know, generic in the answer, but probably the 100th for all of the obvious reasons, but also because on the last lap, as Rossi's coming to me from a, from a selfish standpoint on the radio network, There's a lot of trust that goes into those of us in the four corners because we can't always hear each other. We can't always hear what the other one is saying. We can't always hear how they're throwing to us. There's just a lot of trust that goes into it. And after 2011, when J.R. Hildebrand hit the wall and all of us were kind of confused who was running behind, we were very conscientious when Rossi was running out of fuel of knowing who was running behind him and where they were. So. Nick Yeoman in turn two threw it to me by stating that Carlos Munoz and Joseph Newgarden were charging, which was a, a brilliant moment of clarity from Nick and that standpoint to remember to set it to me so that I knew who I was looking for. So I see Rossi coasting underneath me and I'm waiting for Munoz and Newgarden. And I'm thinking, where are they? Like, where are they? Where are they? Cause I thought, I thought without question, they were going to go on either side of him, a la the Andretti's on Eddie Cheever at the start of the race, you know, when, when they just blew right past him in 92. And I thought for certain, that's what I was going to see. And they never showed up. And so I dropped into Chris Denary with this overwhelming incredulous nature in my voice of the fact that Rossi was on the fumes. And that was the first time that in a, in calling a moment of the race that I was able to comprehend and grasp what I was actually seeing. Because typically it happens so fast and so instinctive that it's not until later that you look back on it. And if anyone ever plays a clip, I have no recollection or memory of the things that we said. And so in that moment was the first time that I was aware of it while it was happening itself. And it was a great moment in the history and the annals of that track in terms of a rookie and a guy that turned out to obviously be an elite level driver winning in his rookie year, winning the 100th running, to be able to be there for the largest Single day spectator sport in world history was remarkable, and from a working standpoint, I can't see that we will ever top
0: it I love that, and also because of my super fandom for Rossi, so I'm here for this answer.
1: <laughs> I was I was waiting for Shannon to say that at the end there. All right, Jake. Well, you've been super gracious with your time tonight, and like Matt said, you know we we appreciate it and appreciate all the kind words and. Uh, we will be sure to to you know tag you on Twitter so everybody who might not listen to your show can start listening and and all that fun stuff. But I just wanted to say thank you very much. And uh, you know, we definitely look forward to seeing you at the track next year. All
2: right, my pleasure, guys. Anything you need, you let
1: me know. You know how to get a hold of me.
3: Thanks. Will Dave. do.
1: I, I certainly appreciate it. Have a good night, man. Thanks,
3: man. Appreciate
2: it. All uh, right, you too. See you.
0: Bye.